We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. We are continuing our series, Reviving the Mission. We have a couple of weeks left after this, but I was going to make mention this morning uh, that next week we are going to take a break from this series for a couple of weeks, and uh, we are going to kind of look at the uh, theme that our Revive Conference was going to be on, uh, which is uh, on Anchored and the idea of trusting God through the storms of life and those kind of things. And so I know for a lot of us, uh, that's a message that we need to hear uh, frequently because we all encounter storms of life. And so uh, let me encourage you to maybe invite somebody to come with you next week for that. But today we are continuing reviving the mission, and we've been on a journey the last few weeks of looking at what it means to be an effective church. And you know, for any, uh, the life of any church, there are times that you have to stop and refocus on what we are to do as a church. And, you know, the idea of being an effective church, certainly we want to be. And so I want to look at um, a slide this morning so we can kind of see where we've been uh, so far in this series. Uh, we've looked at how an effective church is a missional church. And if you remember, we talked about our mission was to be lights of the world. And we've got to have that before us and in front of us uh, at all times to be effective. We talked about how an effective church is a praying church in that we want to be individuals of prayer, but a church of prayer, praying regularly to God, for God to move through us and in us uh, to accomplish the work that he wants us to do. Then we talked about how an effective church is a faithful church in that we are to be faithful uh, as individuals in our devotion to the Lord, uh, faithful in our confession of faith, and also faithful to gather together corporately. We're called to do that as well. And then last week, we talked about how an effective church is a concerned church in that we will have concern for the lost. If we really care about the lost, we are going to be moved uh, to help them and to share the gospel with them and all of those kind of things. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a different avenue of what an effective church is. Uh, but before we do that, I want to read Isaiah chapter 6. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet of God uh, to Judah. And there are many passages in um, this book of Isaiah that are what I would say famous in Christianity. Uh, this is uh, one in Isaiah 6, but also we see a lot of prophecies that Isaiah gave concerning Jesus and who the Messiah was going to be and everything that uh, pointed forward to Jesus. Several passages on that. But specifically here in Isaiah 6, we have the story of when he was called to be a prophet of God and to do this ministry that God had, um, that God had led him to do. So I want to start beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 6, and this is Isaiah writing from a first-person perspective. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he replied, Go, say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Well, then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people, and the land, the land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tent will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. Father, as we look to this somewhat famous passage in Isaiah, Lord, if any of us are familiar with it, Lord, help us today to see it uh, with a fresh set of eyes. Lord, help us to think about our own lives, our own ministries that you've called us to in different ways. Lord, help us to see the importance of this passage, but also, Lord, help us to apply through your Holy Spirit the truths, the principles in it that we need to live out today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you go into work tomorrow and one of your coworkers come up to you and say, uh, the coworker says, I am starting a sign up for a project that I want us to work on. I'm not going to tell you what the project is. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to be doing or where we'll be doing it or how long it will last really or anything like that. I just want you to sign up. Now, how many of you would be like, oh yeah, I would love to sign up for something like that? Anybody in here? Okay, nobody. All right, I was wondering if we would have a few risk takers. I thought maybe we'd have one or two. But here's the deal. None of us really want to sign up for something that we don't have a clue what we're signing up for, right? I've never been a big risk taker in that regard. You know, if a store is having a a sale of like a a grab bag or something where you can't really see what you're buying, I'm not going to buy it, right? I've got to know what I'm signing up for before I commit. You know, one of the things that struck me when I was reading this passage this week is that when you look at what Isaiah says in verse 9, or 8, excuse me, he is so eager and wants to serve God so badly that he commits to do the work of the Lord before he really even knows what he's signing up for. He just knows that he needs to serve the Lord. He volunteers eagerly without having an idea what he's going to be doing, and he was extremely proactive in this, uh, this volunteering that he does. Now, think about the word proactive. What does it mean to be proactive? Well, proactive, of course, is this idea of being active 
rather than passive, right? It's taking action rather than waiting for something just to happen or waiting for someone else to do it. It's us stepping up and and saying, we're not going to sit on the sidelines. We're going to be proactive and actually do what we can to make a difference. I was reading a few news articles this week of folks who had been proactive about uh, various causes they cared about. Uh, Someone uh, that I read about had lost a loved one to a particular type of cancer, and they wanted to be proactive in helping people and bring awareness to this type of cancer. I'd read another article of someone who had lost a loved one to uh, drug overdose, and they wanted to be proactive and warn people of what would happen if you got involved in that kind of lifestyle. I read another article of uh, a family who had lost um, their property in wildfires, and they wanted to be proactive and were being proactive to tell people, hey, you got to watch out for certain things that could cause this to happen. And so as we read about people like this, we know that, that the reason they are proactive is because they have concern, they care, and they're not just sitting on the sidelines. They're trying to do something about it in that they are taking the initiative for themselves. Well, similarly, as we've looked over the last few weeks, because we have a mission before us as a church, because we're praying that God would do something through us and striving to be faithful and hopefully have concern for the lost, because of that, the people of God should be proactively willing to serve Him. Let me say that again. The people of God should be proactively willing to serve Him. And this morning, I've entitled the message, An Effective Church is a Proactive Church. And as we look at Isaiah being proactive in his following the Lord and and serving the Lord, there were several things that I would say motivated Isaiah to be proactive in this way. And some of these motivators that we're going to see today in this passage, I want us to consider them for our own lives because these very motivators for Isaiah should be motivators for us as well to get us to stop sitting on the sidelines, stop just sitting on the pews, and get us moving to do something for the Lord. And so we've got to consider these uh, for ourselves today. I want you to look back at verse 1 in this description of uh, the call of Isaiah and how he starts it. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. Now, I want to pause there before we finish that, and I want us to notice this king that he mentions first, King Uzziah. King Uzziah reigned over Judah for about 52 years. He was, uh, other than, or after Solomon, other than one other king, he was the second most uh, prosperous king in his time that he reigned. Uh, in the ways that people would say to be a successful king, you should do these certain things. He was prosperous. But as with many kings that we see in the Old Testament, as with many leaders that we see today, his pride ultimately led to his downfall. Now, as we see Isaiah writing here, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on this throne. You know, a lot of people have studied this verse And they look to this descriptor of King Uzziah and say, well, we can kind of date this as happening, you know, around this certain year because this is when we believe that King Uzziah died. You know, I think part of the reason, perhaps in my opinion, the biggest reason why Isaiah gives us this descriptor is so not so we can date 
when he was called by God. But so we can compare this King Uzziah with this other king that Isaiah sees. You know, now here we've got this earthly king described who had this downfall, but now we've got this great king described. I want you to look at this description of the Lord that we see here. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. Now, Isaiah was able to to have this vision in some ways, but I want us to kind of in our minds, I think about the Lord in this way. Seated on a high and lofty throne. He says, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Imagine the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, his hem hem of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And here were these creatures crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. I want you to imagine that happening. The heavens crying out to the holiness and glory of this great one who compared to earthly kings is so much loftier, so much greater, so much, uh, has so much more power. And not only that, do these creatures cry out. It says in verse 4, the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. They were crying out so loudly. And the temple was filled with smoke. You see, I think one of the reasons that Isaiah was motivated to serve the Lord is because he had, the, had experienced this vision. And as he thought about the Lord and thought about what he had experienced, he realized that the greatness of God should compel him to serve him. And for all of us, the greatness of God should compel us to serve. As we're thinking about being proactive, that should be one of the things that draws us. So if you're taking notes, jot that down this morning. The greatness of God should compel us to serve. Because I want you to understand, while this passage was written thousands of years ago, the same King of Kings, the same Lord of Lords that Isaiah saw in this vision is the very same King of Kings and Lord of Lords that you still serve today. The very same one. This king is so powerful that he created all things. Every single thing that you see in existence, every single thing that's in existence that you can't see, he created it. And this king is so great that as you think about angels and all of his creation, in many ways, they are going to proclaim his holiness for all of eternity. In fact, there's a verse in Revelation, Revelation 4.11, that describes this in some ways. It says, Our Lord and God... You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you've created all things and by your will they exist and were created. That is the great God that we serve. And I think sometimes that we take for granted who it is that we're actually serving. I think sometimes that we think that our things that we do to serve the Lord are so insignificant that they don't matter. But the Lord says they do matter, and he's the one that determines it. And here's the thing. He's the one that we're serving. 
This great king, again, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, is the king that you serve when you do things like give to people who are in need. He's the same king that you serve when you do something like volunteering for the nursery like we talked about this morning. He's the same king that you serve when you visit someone who's sick to show that you care or visit someone who's lost a loved one. He's the very same king that we serve when we do, as the Bible says, the least of these, or serve the least of these, excuse me. He is the one that we're serving. And so when you think about it, what a privilege it is to serve that great king. What a privilege. We get to serve this king, and so that should compel us to serve because of his greatness. But another motivator I think that we see here from Isaiah that we should apply to our lives is that not only should the greatness of God compel us to serve, but the goodness of God should compel us to serve him. Look at verse 5. When Isaiah stood before the Lord in this vision he had and realized the holiness of God, look at how he responded in verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. You see, Isaiah, in comparison to the Lord, of course, quickly realized his sinfulness and the people's sinfulness around him compared to the holiness of God. He quickly realized who, he, who it was that he was standing before, and he quickly realized that he shouldn't have been standing before the Lord in the condition that he was in. He knew that this was a problem, and so he realized his sin but here's the amazing thing. The goodness and the love of God provided a way for Isaiah and his sin to be atoned for. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. You see, symbolically here, we see this action of, of the coal being touched to Isaiah's lips to cleanse him of sin. But here's the reality. For every single one of us, because of our sins, something has to be done for us to be able to stand before God. Understand that today. If you are in your sins, the Bible says that you are dead in your sins, headed for hell, and that one day when you stand before God, you will stand before him as your judge because God cannot be around sin and God must punish sin. But because of God's goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy, he sent Jesus to provide a way for us to be atoned for. His one and only son, fully God, fully man, came to earth, lived a sinless life, yet died a criminal's death on the cross. And on the third day, three days later, he came back to life. And the Bible says that he ascended into heaven and one day he's coming again. And because of that, now we get to have a way for our sin to be atoned for. But we have to realize our sin. We have to realize, like Isaiah did, how we stand before a holy God. And we have to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Please save me. And the Bible says when we do that, we can experience 
in a similar way what Isaiah did here, the removal of our sins, our sins being atoned for. Today, if you don't know the Lord, you need your sins to be removed. But when Isaiah experienced this, he certainly experienced God's goodness. Let me just say today, I know in this room, every single one of us could say, God has been good to me. Now, I want to say, just for a moment, allow you to, to have the opportunity to raise your hand if God has been good to you in some way. Let's say, if God has blessed you in some way lately, can you raise your hand? Yeah, certainly hands going up all the room. What about, has God answered a prayer for you lately? Anybody in here? Hands up all across the room. What about, has God helped you through a difficult time lately? Man, hands everywhere. What about, has God shown some type of just general kindness to you that you did not deserve? Anybody have, have that happen to you lately? And anybody in here would say, similar to Isaiah, the Lord has forgiven my sins. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, look, hands all across the room about God's goodness and what he's done for your life. Why would we not be compelled to serve the Lord when he's been this good to us? Why would we not want to be proactive and be moved to serve him? What reason could we get, give for not serving him that would be justifiable? Man, the Lord has been so good to us. He is so great. And Isaiah was so moved by the goodness and greatness of God that in verse 8, look at what, what happens here. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me. You know, I think about a, a kid in the classroom who like knows the answer and just begging for you to call on him. You know, a lot of you, I, I've talked uh, before and some of you have seen uh, at the Easter event, you know, my family had, had done magic shows and, and uh, we did illusion shows uh, across the state and different things. But listen, if you're doing a, a show like that and you say, okay, I need a volunteer, you're going to have kids pick me, pick me, pick me. Listen, I think we should have the same attitude when it comes to serving the Lord. It doesn't matter how we can serve Him or what we're going to have to do. Our attitude should be, Lord, please, please pick me. I want to do it. I want to serve. I want to volunteer. I want to help because you are so great. You are so good. That should be uh, our attitude. That should be what motivates us. Please, Lord, let me do it. You don't have to ask me twice. I want to serve you. Isaiah signs up to go for God before he even knows what he's going to be doing. He says, I'll do it. And then the Lord replies with what he's going to be doing. And really, in a lot of ways, it doesn't sound very easy. Look at verse 9. The Lord replies, go, say to these people, keep listening but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Now, what God is saying here, if you, if you follow the, the message of Isaiah and the, the things that he prophesied, God is saying here, there, is a great number of, there are a great number of people who are going to listen to this message that 
I'm going to give you, and they're not going to want to have anything to do with it. In fact, they are going to hate you, they're going to despise you, but I need you to deliver this message. Now, there may be some who listen, but the great majority, their hearts are going to be hardened, and they're going to turn away, and they're not going to listen to any of it. Man, that sounds pretty tough. Sounds like a, a tough assignment. You know, as, as I think about even what we talked about last week with sharing the gospel, there are a lot of similarities just to sharing the gospel, right? Some people want to hear it, but for the most part, when you talk about sin and need for a Savior and Jesus being the only way, they don't want to hear that. They, they want to hear about heaven and all the good things, but the full message of the gospel, people are, are put off by that a lot of times. But this message was important because this message was from the Lord. It was his message to his people, and they needed to, heard it, needed to hear it. And similarly, God commands us to serve him, to live for him, and take the message of the gospel to people. Now, Isaiah, here's what he's going to be doing. And in verse 11, look at what he says. Until when, Lord? How long do I have to do this? The Lord replies, until the cities lie in ruins, without inhabitants, houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Then there's a little bit of hope here at the end. He says, though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled. It says the holy seed is the stump. Again, God had this great plan that he was working out to bring Jesus, but there were times that his prophets, his people, the ones who would serve him had to go through difficult things, and this was certainly one of those things. And so was it an easy message for him to share? No. Is it an easy thing for us to volunteer to serve the Lord and to give our lives in a lot of ways to serve the Lord? No, that's not easy, but it's extremely important and extremely necessary. And so not only do the greatness and goodness of God compel us to serve him, but the message of God should compel us to serve him. His message, what we're called to do, how we're called to live, how we're called to speak to other people, that should compel us to serve him. And again, I get it. When we, don't, when, when we take a step back and think, man, this is going to be tough. It's going to take more time or, or do more things than I really want to do or feel privileged or, or gifted to do in some ways. I remember my freshman year of high school, I felt God's call on my life to go into vocational ministry. And I remember walking the aisle, and my dad was the pastor, and I told the church, yeah, I'm going to go into vocational ministry. I didn't, at the time, similar to like how Isaiah probably felt here, I didn't know what that ministry would be, where it would be, you know, any of that. I just knew that I was supposed to, to be called into ministry and, and to go. Well, as time went on through high school, there were some folks within that church we were a part of that hurt our family in a lot of ways. I remember having conversations uh, with my dad and, and him and my mom being so upset about, you know, just difficulties that they had dealing with some of the personalities there. And I remember thinking, like, if that's what ministry is, I don't want anything to do with it. So I decided I wasn't going to do it. But the Lord had placed that call on my life. And after my senior year of high school, God just said, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And I remember I was at a church camp, and I remember going back to my room and just getting on my knees and crying and saying, Lord, if that's what you want, I'll do it. 
and I had to change all my college plans and everything, but I, I knew that the Lord was calling me to ministry. And from that point on, I began ministering in different ways, and that's evolved over time, but I began ministering in different ways. And as I think back on my time serving the Lord, working for the Lord, whether as a vocational pastor or, or just serving as a volunteer as I did, you know, working for the Lord, if I'm honest, working for the Lord has been some of the hardest work that I've ever done. But I'll also say that working for the Lord has been one of the greatest blessings that I've ever had in my life. Is it difficult to serve the Lord? Yes. But is it a blessing and a privilege to serve the Lord? Yes. And for you, God may not have called you to vocational ministry, but God is clear in his word that every single Christian is called to ministry. Just because you don't have a title of a pastor or a deacon or some other title does not mean that you are not in ministry. Every Christian is called to ministry. We are called to serve, but not only that, our attitudes toward it should be, sign me up, I'm willing. You know, when we think about all that God has done for us and the blessing to be able to serve him, why wouldn't we want to be involved? God is looking for people who aren't content with sitting on the sidelines, but who are proactively willing to serve him. Now, I want to say that being proactive doesn't mean to wait and see if someone else is willing to do it. Being proactively willing to serve the Lord doesn't mean waiting until we feel guilty enough to do it. Being proactively willing to serve the Lord doesn't mean always waiting for someone to ask you to do it. It means that we are putting ourselves out there and saying, God, however I can be used by you, I want to do it. I want to be a part. If you don't serve the Lord regularly, I'm going to ask you today, why not? Why aren't you serving the Lord? Maybe you've forgotten the importance of serving. Maybe for you, you know, other things have become more important and you've prioritized your, your time or your life wrong in different ways and you've got to readjust those priorities. Maybe you have no problem at all volunteering for things that include your, your kids or your work or your grandkids. But if somebody asks you to do something for the Lord... And you're like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Maybe you've got your priorities out of line. Maybe for you, you've been serving so long that you've gotten burnt out. Or maybe you've forgot, forgotten who it actually is that you're serving. I want to say this. One surefire way toward burnout in ministry, whether you're a pastor or just serving in general, one surefire way toward burnout in serving the Lord is to make it about serving and pleasing people rather than serving and pleasing God. You know, when we get focused on, well, I'm serving them, or I'm trying to make them happy, rather than I'm serving the Lord and I'm trying to make him happy, like, that's an easy way to get burnt out because you'll, you'll never be able to serve enough people. You'll never be able to please enough people. But when we think I'm serving and pleasing one, man, that's a whole lot easier, right? When our eyes are focused on him instead of everyone else, an effective church is a proactive church. 
Now, in this time of commitment, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One is, as you know, each and every week with this series in particular, I'm trying to, to move us to come forward and pray for whatever God is laying on our hearts. I think a church that is moving oftentimes shows our commitment, our humility, those kind of things. And again, I, I understand not everybody's able, but if you're able, I want to encourage you to come and pray. And I want you to pray specifically today. First, that God would give you a heart to serve. But then again, we're talking about being proactive. We're not just talking about, you know, waiting around to see. So I, I want to ask you this. If you are not connected and serving in some way and you think, well, I, I want to serve, I just have no clue what to do. I have no clue where I would serve. I have no clue uh, what I'm good at or, or what I could do. There's a green card in the pew in front of you. And before you leave this morning, that card ne says next steps. I would love you for you to fill that out and say, I would love to just figure out how I can serve God. I don't know where or how, but like Isaiah, I want to say, I I'm here, send me, do something with me. And so if you're looking for maybe some counsel on where God may, maybe could use you, I'd love for you to fill that out. You can hand it to me before you leave or drop it in an offering box or something before you leave. But for every single one of us, our hearts today should be this. God, whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours. However you want to use me, I'm yours. And if your heart is not in that position, our prayer should be, God, help me to get to that place that I can say that. Father, as we think about your word today, we know that for all of us, it can be challenging at times to think about stepping out to serve. It can be um, nerve-wracking at times, especially if we're asked to do things that gets us out of our comfort zones. But Lord, we know that because of who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, we know that there is nothing that we could ever do to repay your kindness, your grace to us. Lord, we know that through serving, it oftentimes is, it, those are the times that you grow us and disciple us way beyond what you would do if we just sat back. Lord, you use those things in our lives. So Lord, help us to be people who are proactive. Help us to be a church that's proactive and that's not content waiting around for other people to do work that you've asked us to do. But Lord, we know that that has to start with each of us as individuals. And so I pray for that person today, Lord, who maybe has never served. I pray for that person today who maybe doesn't even know you. I pray that you would move in their hearts. Lord, for those of us maybe uh, who do serve but have forgotten maybe who it is that we're serving, maybe we've gotten burnt out or tired, Lord, restore our, <clears throat> restore our spirits and our attitudes toward that. Lord, help us to be people that would say, here we are, send us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.